This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians, chapter number two, if you would. We're uh, wrapping up our series entitled, Come, Let Us Adore Him. We've been taking a look at the lessons that we can learn from the different folks that were part of the Christmas story. And today we find ourselves in the book of Philippians, chapter two, this morning. Uh, week one, uh, we took a look at lessons from the life, life of Joseph. Uh, we took a look at lessons from the life of Mary last week. We took a look at lessons from the wise men. Today, we take a look at lessons from the life of Jesus. Now, uh, this could be uh, an entire study itself. This could be, uh, this is really just the story of the Bible, the life of Jesus Christ and what he did and what we can learn from him. So tonight is really, this morning is really more of a condensed version of this uh, as we find uh, in the book of Philippians. What What's the big deal about Christmas? Uh, why are Christians so vehement about keeping Christ in Christmas? Why do we uh, make such a big deal about the birth of Jesus Christ? Why do we uh, have nativity scenes in our home? Why do we uh, do kids programs where we have a, uh, these kids dressed up in little cow costumes and a, a little Joseph and Mary? Why do we do that? Because Christmas is a big deal. Why is it such a big deal? We're going to answer that question here today as we take a look at lessons from the life of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter two, we find ourselves in uh, verse number five this morning. Philippians chapter two, starting in verse number five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even to the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We live in a, uh, a time today where we would say that we would be almost a pluralistic society. What that means is we just kind of take a hodgepodge of different belief systems and put them together. And we live in a day uh, where we would say that we uh, deal with relative truth. What that means is what's true for you might not necessarily be true for me, it might not be true for your neighbor, but that's okay. Everybody can come up with their own version of the truth. And we, as Bible-believing Christians, would say that truth is found in the Word of God. Uh, that it's non-negotiable, it just is what it is, it's black and white, it's cut and dried, and if you don't like it, sorry, uh, because the word and the truth just is what it is, and as we come to the person of Jesus Christ, there's much uh, debate in our society today as who Jesus Christ was, who Jesus Christ is, and if he really matters or not. Some would say that Jesus was simply a good teacher who taught good things and left us a good example to follow. And we would agree that he was a good teacher and left us a good example to follow. But to say that he was simply a good teacher just isn't the entire truth. Others would say that Jesus was a prophet sent from God to tell us what God had to say, but was himself not necessarily God. And we would reject that uh, outright, saying that Jesus Christ is completely and totally God. 
Others would say that Jesus Christ was a regular dude like you and I, just a regular guy who came to this earth and and reached this uh, point of moral perfection that he became a God. And we would reject that outright because Jesus Christ always is and always will be God. Others would say that Jesus Christ became the God of this universe the same way, here's where it gets crazy, that when you and I die, we go on to be the God of our own universe and we get to call the shots and we get to be in charge. We get to determine what's right versus wrong in our own universe and we would reject that outright because we recognize that there is no other God other than our God. Kind of an easy way to, uh, my my daughter, uh, Makili, she's 11 years old and uh, she's grew up in church her entire life and the thing that she hears again and again and again is how important doctrine is. And so her question now in her mind is, uh, as we drive past other churches in town, she'll say, hey dad, is that a false teaching church right there? And I realized that maybe uh, she's gotten a little bit, I don't know if you can get too much truth. I don't think that's a thing. But uh, um, should 11-year-olds think every church that they see, is that a false teaching church? And she'll say, uh, my friend at school, so-and-so, she goes to XYZ church. Is that a false teaching church? And it's just like, oh, my word. Uh, and so, uh, but I'm thankful for the fact that she realizes just because somebody calls themselves a church doesn't necessarily mean it's Christian. Just because someone calls themselves a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that they're Christian. Just because someone purports to follow God does not necessarily mean that they are a Christian. So there's a couple of ways that we can determine exactly whether or not someone is a true believer in Christ. There's some ways we can figure out whether or not a church is a true teacher of the word of God or not. And that is, how does it line up with what the Bible says? If their teaching lines up with the Bible 100%, 100%, let me say that one more time, 100% lines up with what the Bible says, then you could say that that is a true Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And that's what we as, as a, a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church strive to be, 100% gun barrel straight on all matters of faith and doctrine. You say, 100%, can anybody really be 100%? And I say this to you, if you show me where I'm wrong, I wanna change it. Because the Bible at the end of the day is the ultimate authority in in everything, not tradition or the way things have been or the way things uh, could be, but the Bible has to be the source of truth. And so uh, does their teaching line up with the Bible 100%? If so, that would be a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. But if it's off by say 1%, 2%, 3%, 10%, then we begin to deviate from the true teaching of the word of God and we run into trouble every time we do that. One of the easiest ways, easiest ways to determine or to spot a false teacher or a false church or a false religion, I'm gonna give you one really easy way off the bat that'll knock out probably 90% of them. What do they say about Jesus Christ? Bottom line, here's what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the son of God. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. Uh, Jesus was God incarnate. Jesus Christ never sinned one single solitary time. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died in our place to pay for the sins of mankind. Therefore, he is the savior of mankind. All those things are found in scripture. When someone deviates from that, they're no longer a Bible believer and we would even question their Christianity. If you say that Jesus Christ wasn't necessarily born of a virgin or we don't know that he was necessarily God, we can automatically discount that altogether. John chapter one, verse number one says, in the beginning was the word and the word is capitalized in your Bible because it's speaking of Jesus Christ. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That tells us that Jesus Christ from the very beginning has been God. Jehovah's Witnesses would actually uh, disagree with that statement. They would say that, that Jesus Christ is a, is a God, but he's a lesser God than God the Father. Uh, that's one of the reasons why Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate Christmas. It's one of the reasons why they're against Christmas altogether, uh, because they don't believe in Jesus the same way that you and I do or the way that the Bible says that we should. That's a problem. So to, how can you discount clear Bible teaching? Though In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How do you get that out of there? Well, they made their own Bible called the New World Translation. John chapter 1, verse number 1 in the New World Translation. This is why Bible translations are really, 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 really super-duper important. Because their version says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Lowercase g. Oh, that changes everything. And so for us as Bible-believing Christians, we would have to say, you might say that you believe in God, you might say that you believe in Jesus, but you are not a Christ follower, you are not a Christian. And again, I don't make that determination, the Bible makes that determination. You and I, our speculation, our opinion, what we think, it doesn't mean beans, folks. But what does the Bible say? The Bible would say that if you deny Christ, that you've denied the Father. And so that creates a whole other heap of problems. So for us, when we talk, take a look at who Jesus Christ is, it's really important that we understand this. Today's message I've kind of lined out for you. The first half is uh, very doctrinal in nature. We're gonna talk about Jesus Christ and what made him God and why he is God and why he'll forever be God. The second half of that, we're gonna take what can we learn from his life that's gonna help us live for him day by day. If you're taking notes this morning, and I highly recommend that you do. First of all, I want you to see in your notes here that Jesus is eternal but was born in Bethlehem. We call this the incarnation. Now, again, false religion would say that Jesus was a created being. Jesus was created in Bethlehem and did not exist prior to Bethlehem. Again, we reject that outright because the Bible says that Jesus Christ has been around before the foundation of the world. That Jesus Christ was present in Genesis 1-1 when God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus Christ was there. Jesus is eternal. He has to be because he is God. That's one of the attributes of God. The great thing about Jesus' incarnation was it was prophesied all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter three, God said to uh, the serpent, who is the devil, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. He spoke here in Genesis chapter three and God said, devil, I'm gonna put you down and your head is going to be crushed by the woman's seed. Now, this is really, really important. Because if you think of biology, the woman doesn't necessarily have a seed. She has an egg. This is not a biology class, but I'm going to break it down really easy for you, all right? The woman doesn't have a seed to offer, so this seed that would be born of a woman had to be born of God, not of her own. So it would have to be a virgin birth. Genesis chapter 3, thousands of years before the incarnation of Christ, it was prophesied from the very beginning so this incarnation, the coming of God in the flesh was prophesied long ago, but Bethlehem's manger provided what we call the incarnation. Jesus Christ was God becoming man, God becoming flesh for you and I. The Bible says in John chapter one, verse number 14, and the word 
speaking of Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. That God became a man to walk the earth with us. So we see that Jesus was not a created being, but is eternal because God is eternal. Again, this is critical, non-negotiable. We're not gonna talk about this with anybody who believes otherwise. Jesus Christ always was. He was co-eternal with the Father. John chapter 17, verse number four says, I've glorified thee on earth, Jesus speaking in the garden of Gethsemane to his Father. I finished the work which thou gave me to do, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So we see Jesus was not a created being, but he's eternal because God is eternal. Jesus said to God the Father, I want you to give me my glory that we had together before the world was. And this is also important because God says he won't share his glory with anyone else. And so for Jesus to have the glory that belonged to the Father alone meant that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. Anyone who says... Jesus Christ was just a mere man. Just know this, they're not a Christian. If they claim to be a Christian teacher, just know this, they are a false teacher that does not believe the Bible. This is critical. This is really important for us. You and I, at this Christmas season, we celebrate the incarnation because God came to us. The name that was given to Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, literally means God with us. That God became a man and lived with you and I. This is critical. This is important that we understand that Jesus was not a prophet. He wasn't just a good teacher. Josh McDowell uh, writes uh, books on apologetics, said that Jesus Christ is either a liar because he claimed to be someone who he wasn't. He's a lunatic, a crazy person who doesn't, didn't know who he was or the only other option is he must be the Lord. So Jesus Christ is either a liar, lunatic or Lord. And we would say Jesus Christ is Lord. He's exactly who he said that he was. And the interesting thing is that Jesus can't be a good teacher if he's going around lying to everyone. We can't call him a good teacher if he claims to be God, claims to be the son of God, yet wasn't really, we wouldn't say that he was a good man or a good teacher. We would say he was one of the biggest frauds to ever exist in human history, but he was exactly who he said that he was. Therefore, he could be all that he said that he would be. We see in verses uh, number six and seven in our passage this morning, uh, Philippians chapter six and seven, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So we see that Jesus Christ is fully God, yet fully man at the same time. I remember as a kid trying to wrap my head around this thought. I thought it has to be like 50-50, right? He's 50% God and 50% man. That wasn't the case at all. Jesus Christ was fully man, fully God at the same time. Number uh, six tells us he thought it not robbery. He wasn't taking anything away from God to be equal with God. He didn't take something that didn't belong to him. That's what a robbery is. When you take something by force that doesn't belong to you. He, he didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God. He wasn't taking a title that didn't belong to him because he was fully God. Colossians chapter two, verse number nine, you should uh, circle, star, underline that in your Bible. You need to come back to that from time to time. In him, speaking of Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, beautiful word, bodily. The word Trinity, we don't find in the Bible anywhere. It's a word that we use to discuss the fact that God exists in three distinct persons, yet he is one God. This word Godhead would be the closest thing that we have to the idea of a Trinity uh, word in the Bible. And all the fullness of 
the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was found in Jesus Christ in bodily form. So Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. We see that he had all the attributes of God. We don't have time to spend here this morning. This is not a Christology lesson, uh, but we just want to kind of take a high-level overview from a doctrinal perspective. Jesus Christ has all the attributes of God. Jesus Christ was omniscient. He knew all things. He's omnipresent in the fact that he says, lo, I am with you always when he left this earth. He's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. There's nothing he cannot do. He is self-existent, meaning he was not created at any point. He didn't need anyone to create him. He always has been and always will be by his own power. Jesus Christ is sovereign, which means he is the ruler over all things. We took a look at several weeks ago how uh, God is sovereign in all things and Jesus Christ also sovereign in all things. We see in the Bible that he is eternal. Again, was there at creation, will be at the end of this world as we know it. Jesus Christ will be ruling and reigning as king of the world on this earth. And we also see that he is the creator and sustainer. The Bible tells us that by all things exist by the power of Jesus Christ. So the idea that Jesus Christ was just a created being who showed up in Bethlehem and died a death and went somewhere that we're not sure where he went couldn't be further from the truth. The fact of the matter is, is, is Jesus Christ always has been and always will be. He is eternal. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And he is our Savior. But at the same time, Jesus Christ is a man. So Jesus Christ is fully God, yet he is also fully man. Jesus Christ was born as a baby from a mother. Jesus got tired from time to time. He got thirsty. He hungered. He grieved. He slept. He was even tempted the devil showed up and tempted him. Three times the devil tempted him in the wilderness and three times he overcame the power of temptation by using the word of God. Three times the devil tempted him, but three times Jesus answered with scripture. This is a, a prescriptive uh, thing for us that we can know how to defeat temptation by memorizing the word. And here's the thing, the devil didn't realize how outclassed he was when he came to Jesus to tempt him because Jesus Christ used the word of God to overcome temptation. But Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, John chapter one was the word of God. He is the word of God in the flesh. And so the devil came thinking that there was a fair fight, but there was no fair fight to be had because Jesus Christ is all powerful. Really important thing about Jesus Christ though is unlike every other person in human history, Jesus never sinned. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Again, this is critical for us because sin has consequences. Sin has a price that must be paid. And if Jesus had sinned one single time, he would have been in God's debt to pay the price of his own sin. And if Jesus had his own sin debt to pay, friend, he could never pay ours because he would have to pay for his own sin. So the fact that we serve a sinless Savior in Jesus Christ, it's a big deal. Notice in your notes that I, I mentioned that Jesus is God and Jesus is man because Jesus will always be both God and both man. Jesus Christ will return to this earth and set up his millennial kingdom for, and rule and reign on this earth for 1,000 years as a man. 
That's a little bit different with God because the Bible tells us in the book of John that God is a spirit and all those that worship God must worship him in spirit and truth. And so God the Father doesn't have a physical body the way that Jesus Christ does. So Jesus Christ will always be God. He will always be man forever. He no longer ceased to to, uh, be a man when he ascended into heaven. He still is a man at the right hand of the Father even now. But as we look into the practical aspect of this, what does the incarnation of Jesus mean for us on a day-to-day basis? How does this change my life tomorrow morning and every other morning after that? That's what we're gonna take a look at in the rest of our message this morning. First of all, we see that Jesus is our example. If we take a look at verse number five, it says, if you back up to verse number four and just look at the context of this, Paul, as he writes to the church of Philippi, says to them, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. In other words, don't be so caught up in what's going on with you. Look out for other people. Don't be so selfish that the only person you think about is me, 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 me. Think about other people. And he goes on one step further and says, don't just think about other people. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I want you to have the same mindset that Jesus himself had, who being made in the form of a man, thought it not robbery to be made equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant. So verse four says, stop worrying about yourself, worry about other people. Stop worrying about who's taking care of you and start taking care of other people. Stop worrying about what you're gonna get and start thinking about what you're gonna give. Stop looking for who's gonna be a blessing to you and start being a blessing to other people because that's the mind that was in Jesus Christ. That's how we live like Jesus, and he was our example to follow in that. See, we don't need to think hypothetically what would God do if he were here. He showed us. We we look at the life of Jesus Christ, and we see here's what God would do if he was a man. We don't have to wonder what would it be like if God came to earth. No, 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 we actually know that. I wonder how God would handle the situation. We know exactly how he would handle it. How would he treat people who had done him wrong? He would love them and serve them. How would he react to people who had had treated him unfairly? He would love them and serve them. How would he come to those who had a need that he could meet? He would love them and try to meet that need. (laughs) What would he do with false teachers? He would rebuke them with the truth from the word of God. What would he do with those who would would cause a mockery of the house of God or the worship of God? He'd start flipping tables over and run them out with whips. I wanna be on that team, right? I don't want to be on the set-up chairs team or the vacuum the auditorium team. I want to be on the flip-over tables and run people out with whips team, right? Sign me up for that one. That's not the type of example we're meant to follow. The loving, serving, caring Jesus example is what we're supposed to follow. Jesus says in uh, John chapter 13, verse number 13, you call me master and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. Again, if you just read through the book of John, there's a full and complete proof that Jesus Christ was God. Uh, that's what John sets out to do from John chapter one, verse number one, in the beginning was the word, and the word was, uh, I'm sorry, uh, in the beginning was God, and the word was with God, and the word was God. From John one, one, he sets out to make a case that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus even says here in John chapter 13, you call me master and Lord, and ye say very well, for so I am. Can you imagine what would happen if this morning I stood up before you guys and said, hey guys, some folks have been calling me master 
and even been calling me Lord, like God Lord, capital L Lord in this case, and you're right because I'm God. What would happen? Man? Hopefully, you just grab yourself and, and hit the door and never come back and pray that the Lord would, would write anathema on this church, right? Because that's blasphemy to call yourself God. But Jesus did it. And you know what? Nobody batted an eye at it. You call me Master and Lord, and you're right because that's who I am. He claims here to be God. And again, the word master capitalized in your Bible there. The word Lord capitalized, not talking about just a master. I am the master. Claim to be God himself. And you say so because I am. If I then being your Lord and master have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Now, important to give us a little bit of context here. Jesus was saying to them, I've taken the lowest job one could possibly take. Typically, in biblical times, there would be a servant who would wash people's feet when they came in. If you walked around uh, Honolulu in slippers before, you know your feet get nasty, nasty. Uh, and you get in the shower, and you're like, ooh, that was on the bottom of my feet. Yeah. Uh, so in biblical times, they would have somebody wash feet when you came in. But there wasn't a servant there that night, and all the apostles would look around going, who's going to wash feet tonight? And Jesus gets a towel, puts it around his waist and grabs a basin and starts going one by one and washing the apostles' feet. And he says, I did this to give you an example. Now, critical that we understand here. Jesus didn't say it's our job to wash everybody's feet, okay? That's nasty. I'm, just, I'm gonna be straight with you. Now, again, uh, if, you, if you look online and there's a, you can find anything you want online, but there are churches, even Baptist churches, who practice, they call it the ordinance of foot washing. Uh, that you know, just like we would baptize or take the Lord's Supper, uh, they would actually practice foot washing as a ceremony where you wash one another's feet and go from person to person. Uh, first of all, don't touch my feet like ever. Um, I went to a podiatrist when I was a kid and I always had to like mash on your feet. I almost kicked him in the face so many times it's not even funny. Don't touch my feet. Jesus isn't saying go person by person with a bucket of water and wash everybody's feet. He's saying find the lowest thing that there is to do and do that. Find the, the most maybe even degrading way that you could serve someone else and do it. Uh, here's the, one of the things that I love about who we call a Baptist church. After every single service, you'll find folks that are taking garbage out, folks that are sweeping stuff up, people that are vacuuming, people that are putting stuff away. Did you know that we don't have a team to do that? Like nobody, oh, it's your assignment to take out the garbage this week. It's your assignment to do this. We don't have that. We just have a lot of people who pitch in and serve and they're willing to do whatever it takes. There are ladies this morning that are watching kids in the nursery that don't belong to them. They're changing diapers and feeding them and trying to keep them from crying so that you're able to hear the word this morning. You know why? Because they love Jesus and they love your family and that's their way to serve you. Hey, look, uh, watch my own kids. I got no problem with that. Watch your kids. I hope they're alive when you pick them up. I really will do my best, you know. But here's the thing, that's service like Jesus. And it's not just about the jobs in the church that I can find to do. It's finding ways that I can love my neighbor and serve my neighbor. It's finding a way that I can love and serve my coworker. You say, well, pastor, you don't know my coworkers. They're a rough crowd. Hey, good. What, do you, what an even better opportunity to love them and serve them. Jesus said this, you love those that do good to you. So what? Everybody does that. But I want you to love the people that hate your guts. I want you to love the people that lie about you, the people that stab you in the back, the people that do you ugly. I want you to love them. And some of you this morning, you need to go by uh, somewhere this afternoon and buy a plate of cookies and put a Christmas invite on the top of them. Take them to that coworker that really grinds your gears and say, hey, 
I thought of you and hope you have a Merry Christmas. We're having a Christmas Eve service at our church. I'd love for you to be my guest. Now, after they fall off out on the floor and you have to pick them back up, you can talk to them a little bit more and just love them and serve them like Jesus. But hey, guess what? It's not about giving to people who will give something back to you. It's about giving and loving and serving those who could never do anything for you. That's the life of Jesus. That's the example we have to follow. And if you love Jesus, you'll follow his example. That's what he says. He says, if you love me, you just keep my commandments. And if I love Jesus, I want to be like Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, verse number one, be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ hath also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Hey, if you wanna follow God and wanna follow in the love of God, live the way that Jesus lived. So that begs the question, how did Jesus live? First of all, Jesus came to serve. Take a look at verse number seven, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus came to serve. Jesus says that the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister to other people. The word minister means to serve. The whole reason that Jesus came was to serve and to save. And so Jesus Christ came to serve, therefore you and I must follow in his example. First thing he did is he walked in humility. This is the tough part. This is the part that keeps us from serving other people because we're so full of ourselves. And I say that because I myself struggle with this. Selfishness and pride will ruin your Christ-likeness every single time. Selfishness and pride will ruin your Christ-likeness every single time. Selfishness says, hey, Who's serving me? Hey, who's looking out for me? Hey, who's doing something for me? Well, I'm not gonna be nice to them. They've never been nice to me. I'm not taking cookies to them. They never brought cookies to me. I'm not, I'm not saying happy birthday to them. They knew it was my birthday and went out of their way not to say happy birthday. It's not about what it is for you, but what it is for God and how we can serve him and be like Jesus. But it starts in humility, self-death, is one of the most painful deaths you'll ever die because it requires that you die to your own pride and walk in humility. And that's easier said than done, friend. But we can do it with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We see also that Jesus loved. Love is not an emotion. Love is an action. It's not a feeling that I get when I hear a certain song or when I see a certain person. Love is a choice that I make to put other people ahead of myself, and that's how Jesus lived. He was always looking for what he could do for others, how he could serve them, how he could care for them, and it wasn't about what he, it could, he could get for himself, but what he could give to others. We see that he served. Everywhere he went, he was looking for some way to serve someone else. Again, this is the epitome of putting others before ourselves. Hey, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I help? What can I do to pitch in? How can I get stuff done? This is what Jesus did. He went everywhere that he was serving. Doesn't mean that Jesus didn't have a time of rest and relaxation. He did that from time to time. But he was always looking for a difference that he could make. He didn't want to waste the time that God had given him. He wanted to invest it and invest it well. We see also that Jesus gave. Jesus ultimately gave his own life because of his love and service to us. But Jesus always put others above himself. He always loved, he always served, he always gave. 
I mean, who we call a Baptist church, our core values are love, pray, give, serve, invest. And you know who perfectly embodied those? Jesus Christ himself. That's why it's the, the guiding tenets that we have for our church to love, pray, give, serve, invest because it's the life of Jesus Christ who we seek to emulate, who is our example. Jesus walked in ministry. The word ministry means to serve other people. Ministry is not a job that uh, has a title like a pastor or an assistant pastor. Ministry is a lifestyle that we live where we're pointing other people to Jesus Christ by our love and our service for them. And Jesus lived that life. But if Jesus only came to teach, Jesus only came to love, to serve, to give, if that's all he came to do, friend, you and I would still be in a heap of mess this morning. And while his life would be worthy of talking about, we would still have a great burning need in the depths of our soul. But I'm thankful that Jesus didn't just come to, say, to serve, Jesus came to save. Take a look at verse number seven. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant made in the likeness of men and being found fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Thankful that Jesus came to save. As we take a look over the last several weeks, everybody in the Christmas story gave something. Joseph set aside his own hopes, dreams, goals, aspirations to love and serve Mary and to, to be a husband to her and care for her. Mary set aside her hopes, dreams, goals, and aspirations and laid down her life and said, Behold, a handmaid, a slave, a servant of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word, Mary said. She gave everything. We saw last week that the wise men came and they offered their worship. They offered their praise. They offered extravagant, lavish gifts that they laid at the feet of Jesus in the form of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So now we find the person in this Christmas story that's given the most. That's Jesus Christ. He came to save us from our sins. You see, you and I need saving because we've broken God's law. We've sinned against God, not once, not twice, but every single day. We rebel against God, against God's plan, against God's word, either willingly or unwillingly, maybe out of habit, maybe on purpose, but we continually break God's law and that has put us in a precarious situation because the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. Because we've sinned against the holy God, we're gonna die one day a physical death and the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. When you take your last breath here on planet earth, the Bible says you will stand before God and you'll give an account for your life. Are you ready for that? And when you stand before God, he's not gonna say, so why should I let you into heaven? Let's talk about this. Let's discuss it. There's not gonna be a discussion at that point. The Bible gives clear guidelines how you get to heaven. Who can pay for your sin? And the Bible says there's one way that you yourself can pay for your sin. Death. The wages of sin is death. Because of your sin, you will die a physical death and then in eternity, You'll be separated from God forever in hell where God's wrath and punishment are poured out on you for all of eternity. That's how you pay for your own sin. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a very good deal. I don't wanna go to hell. I don't want you to go to hell. And anybody who says, well, I can't wait to get to hell because all my friends are there. Friend, you don't understand what hell is like. You don't get it because there will be no happy reunions in hell, there will be no parties in hell, there will be only torment, wrath, and punishment for all of eternity. And you say, well, what kind of loving God would do that? Oh, no, 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 no. 
That's God's justice. God says, this is what you deserve. This is what you're gonna get. You say, well, that's not very fair. Man, it's fair as fair can be. You've broken God's law. Here's the punishment. But God loves you. This is the important part to remember. Romans chapter five, verse number eight. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't want you to go to hell. While the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, talk about gifts at Christmas time. The best gift ever received was the gift of eternal life that was given. How? From a baby that was born in a manger. Of God who became incarnate and walked among us to pay for our sins. And so Jesus went to the cross, paid for my sin, paid for yours, because he had never sinned, what, not one single solitary time. And he paid for our sin on that cross. The only thing that you have to do today, friend, is repent of your sin. Turn from it and turn to Jesus Christ as your Savior. By faith, say, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I'm asking him to forgive my sins and save me. And the Bible says, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that we can be saved, saved from our sin, saved to a new life, saved from eternity in hell, saved to a life in heaven, and given eternal life. That's the most important thing that Jesus did. Did he leave a good example? Yes. Did he leave good teachings? Yes. Did he leave us a life to emulate? Definitely. Did he establish a church where we can grow? Definitely. But the most important thing that he did was he died for our sins. And I wish Jesus' death was just a blanket automatic forgiveness on everybody, but it's not the case. You have to choose. And friend, if there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior, you need to do it today. If there's never been a time where you have put your faith in Jesus, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I'm asking him to forgive me my sins and, and to completely cleanse me of my unrighteousness. If you've never done that, you gotta do it today. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus, John chapter three. You have to be saved, friend. The Bible says that he believeth on the son hath everlasting life, but he that believeth not on the son, the wrath of God abides on him. God's punishment is coming for you and the only way that you can stop is to put your faith in Jesus. And that's the greatest gift anyone could ever receive is the gift of eternal life. If you're not sure, be sure today. We see that Jesus died our death. Again, he died in our place. You and I were supposed to die. Jesus died instead. Romans 5, 8, God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was supposed to die. Jesus died instead but much more than now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You see, I was supposed to be on the receiving end of God's punishment, the receiving end of God's wrath, but Jesus came and died in my place and I no longer will see that because Jesus has saved me. Next, we see that not only did he die our death, he also reconciled us to God. The word reconcile means to be made right. The second that you and I sinned against God, we messed up our relationship with him. And that happened automatically because the Bible says that all men have sinned. And we need to be made right with God. And Jesus made a way for us to be made right. Romans chapter five, verse number 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Jesus died our death. He reconciled us to God. He endured our punishment. I was supposed to pay for my sins. 
I was supposed to be under the wrath of God. I was supposed to have endured the penalty of my sin. Isaiah chapter 53, verse number five, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes, we are healed. Again, errant teaching on this passage would say that Jesus died for our physical healing or Jesus died so that I don't have to get the flu shot or I don't have to get the flu or I don't get a cold. That couldn't be further from the truth. Friend, if Jesus died only for our physical health and well-being, we're missing out on the most important part, our sinful condition. But no, Jesus died because of my sin. He died in my place. And because of his death upon the cross, I can be forgiven. I can be healed. You see that Jesus Christ paid the ransom for our sin. The terminology for ransom means that we were bought by a slave master. The devil was our slave master. The Bible says that we were the children of disobedience, the children of wrath. And to purchase us from that slave market of sin, a price had to be paid, and Jesus was our ransom. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He paid that price for us. Here's the other great thing that Jesus Christ did is he covered our sin with his own blood. We don't have time to talk about it this morning, but I'll give you a really quick overview. In the Old Testament, before Jesus Christ came, there was a day of atonement that would take place where the priest would symbolically take the sins of the people and he'd place them upon an altar. And then he'd take an animal, a, a goat, and bleed out its, its, its body over the sins of the people that were symbolically placed upon this altar. And that, that blood was covering over the sins so that when God looked at the sins of the people, they were covered by the blood of this animal. Symbolically, the sins of the people would then be placed on another goat and would be sent out into the wilderness that was called the escape goat. So we get our term scapegoat. And when Jesus Christ hung upon that cross and he said, it is finished, his blood was shed and it was poured out as a covering for my sin and for yours. And all the sins of the people were placed upon Jesus Christ and he took it to the death once and for all and he rose again the third day victorious, completely and totally free from sin. Amen. And Jesus Christ covered our sin. First John chapter two, verse number two says, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That propitiation is a beautiful Bible word. Depending on your translation of the Bible, it might say atoning sacrifice. That sells that word short because the word propitiation not only means a satisfactory payment, but it also means a complete covering. And it's a call back to the altar of the Old Testament where the sins of the people were placed upon the altar and they were covered by the blood. And that is what propitiation or covering for sin means. And Jesus was the propitiation, the covering for our sins. And I look at that and I just say, praise God, all my sin is covered under the blood of Jesus. I will make mistakes, I will fail, I will blow it from time to time, but I don't have to get saved again. I don't have to hope that my sins are forgiven. No, all of my sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all because he is the propitiation for our sins. Here's the fact of the matter. You and I couldn't possibly save another person if we wanted to, but we can point others to the one who saves. I wanna encourage you during this Christmas season and especially in the new year to get serious about your faith and sharing it with other people. Every week of the world, we give you these invitations that we put in your bulletin. 
The idea is that you'll take that at least one this week and pass it on to somebody else. Maybe you put it on the bulletin board at work. Maybe you'll pass it to a coworker. Maybe you'll pass it to a waitress or a waiter this weekend. Maybe you'll give it to the person in line at Long's. The idea is that you pass it on to somebody because at the end of the day, you and I couldn't save another person if we wanted to, but we can point them to the person who can save everybody. And here's the great part about the gospel. I couldn't save somebody if I wanted to, and trust me, there's a lot of people that I want to save that I can't. But you know what the great part about the gospel is? It's just good news. That's what the word gospel means. And when I give somebody good news, the responsibility now is no longer on me to get them the good news because they got it. What they do with it is completely and totally up to them. You say, well, they might throw it in the garbage. They probably will at some point. It happens to me all the time. Well, they may make fun of me. They might. You've been made fun of for a lot less before. At least make it something good this time. Well, they'll think I'm weird. They already think you're weird. But did you know that there's that chance that the person will take that and look at that and go, huh, I've been looking for a church. Tell me more about this. Hey, I read through this part on the back. What is that? What's that about? What does that mean? There's a chance. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, you and I couldn't save anybody. We can plant seeds. We can water seeds. And maybe God would allow us to be around for that harvest where we see it come to fruition and see somebody put their faith and trust in Christ. But you'll never be a part of that process if you don't choose to. So Jesus, what did he do? He came to serve people and he came to save people. I can serve people, I can't save them, but I can point them to the one who can, and that's Jesus. And so I have committed the rest of my life to pointing as many people to Jesus as I can. And you say, good, that's the job of a pastor. No, that's the job of a Christian, friend. Christian. So if you're here today, I want, I want you to, to, to sit back and say, what does that mean for me? It means you're supposed to save, or you're supposed to serve, you're supposed to point people to the one who can save. That's our job. That's our responsibility. Hey, look, if Christ has died for us, shall we not live for him? Chances are you and I will never be asked to give our life for our faith. There are parts of the world where it's still illegal to be a Christian. There's places in the world where it's illegal to share your faith with other people and to, to pass out an invitation to church. There's places like that where it's illegal. There's places where you can be put to death for that. Throughout all of human history, there's been times where Christians have been put to death for their faith. The, the likelihood of that happening to you and I, very slim. But God's not asking you to give your life for your faith. He's asking you to live for your faith. This means something for me, so I'm gonna change something in my life. This means something to me, so my life's gonna be different as a result of my faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 15, and he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Final thoughts, what does this mean for us? First of all, become a student of the life of Jesus. If you've never read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, put that on your to-do list. I hope on Christmas morning, you'll read Luke 2 with your kiddos, or maybe just together as a family, or maybe just by yourself. Luke 2, it's the story of Christmas. It's why we do what we do. But become a student of the life of Jesus. I want to know what he did and why he did it and how he did it. He's our example to follow. I need to know what he did. And I need to do what Jesus said. This passage here tells us that Jesus was obedient, and he expects us to be obedient. Just do what Jesus said to do. Do what Jesus did. What did Jesus did? He loved and he served and he gave. So what should we do with our lives? We should love, give, and serve. 
It's exactly what Jesus did. I want to I do what he said, and I want to do what he did. Next, commit your life to discipleship. Where discipleship is the process of becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to take a look on the first Sunday of the year, how to start off 2020 as a year of discipleship for us and what that means for us to follow Jesus like never before. Next, commit your life to bringing other people to Jesus. The greatest achievement you will ever make in your entire life is the bringing of another soul to Jesus Christ. And you might say, well, I've never had the opportunity to lead somebody to Christ. I find the more that I look for opportunities, the more opportunities present themselves. <laughs> I had somebody, uh, they came to our church on a Sunday night. We're talking after the service. They said, hey, what's your church background? And uh, they tell us their church background and stuff. And I said, uh, hey, let me ask you a question. If you die today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? And I said, well, I'm not, not really sure. I said, can I have somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven? She said, yeah, I'd like that. And the girl standing next to her was a first-time guest too. And she goes, well, that was super bold. I go, what do you mean? She's like, you just flat out asked her if she's going to heaven or not. Yeah. Like, what was I supposed to do? Like, we should have to go out and have a meal or like chit-chat or something. It's the most important thing in the world. I would hate for somebody to leave here today. And let me just say this for you that are first-time guests here. I'd hate for you to leave here today thinking that Jesus is the reason for the season and everybody's going to heaven. I want you to know if you're not saved, heaven is not your eternal home. And I want you to know for sure that you're going to heaven before you leave. And she said, that was just really bold for you to ask that like that. And I said, I find that when I ask people point blank, they usually have an answer one way or the other. And if they don't know, I want to help them know. And if they do know, I want them to be sure that they know. And she goes, well, I've just never seen it done like that before. And I said, do you have another way that you think would be more effective? And she goes, I don't. I said, well, I guess we just keep doing it this way then. But I find that the more opportunities I'm looking for, the more opportunities I get. And if I, I and again, you don't have to be weird about it or anything like that, but if you know somebody, hey, did you grow up going to church? Oh, yeah, I grew up in church my whole life. Was there a time in your life where you accepted Christ as Savior? Well, I'm not really sure about that. Can I show you from the Bible how you could know for sure what that looks like for you? And I often have opportunities. And here's the thing, you might be a chicken like I used to be, and you say, here, just take this card and read it and do what it says. That's fine. That's planting a seed. We have books that are available for you on the back table called Paid in Full. It's a really short little booklet that somebody can read to know how for sure when they die they're on their way to heaven. It's the most important thing in the world. But I want you to establish a life of following Jesus and establish a life of bringing people to Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what this life is all about. I'm thankful today that following this service will be dismissed here in just a little bit. We're gonna head over to Alamona Beach Park and we have six people being baptized today. Did you know that four of those six people got saved here at Hui Kala Baptist Church? You know why? Because somebody asked him, if you die today, are you sure you're going to heaven? And they said, I'm not sure. He said, can we show you how you know, can know for sure? They put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Oh, the baptism, that couldn't save anybody in the world. You could, you could get dunked in every body of water in the world and you'll never be closer to heaven than you were before. But putting your faith in Jesus Christ gives you eternal life and nobody can ever take that away from you. Jesus said this, that if you put your faith in him, he's gonna hold you in his hand and no man can pluck you from his father's hand. What a great promise that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. If you're here today and you do not know for sure that you're saved, please don't leave here without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven. But for those of us that say there's been a time, a date, a place in my life where I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as savior, this is the season to love people, serve them, give to them, 
and to point them to the hope for eternal life that we find in Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.